Meet the Aquanics is now sponsored by Audible.com. As part of this sponsorship, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial so you can check out the range of titles that they're offering. Currently, Audible has over 180,000 books to choose from for either your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. To help support this podcast, please go to www.audibletrial.com slash And now, on with our next episode. So, hello everyone who have decided to tune in live, or for those of you who are again uh, downloading us offline, uh, either through uh, iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud, uh, welcome to our next episode. Uh, this is our 21st episode uh, in our little podcast here. Um, and as you may have, have heard, the Nobel was announced yesterday, and as I've been tweeting for the last uh, day or so, uh, the Nobel Prize in, in Topological Materials actually does have some... Uh, intricate and interesting applications when it comes to quantum computing and, and how uh, we will hopefully build these quantum computing uh, architectures. So uh, take a bit of a look at some of the stuff that I've put online and hopefully I'm going to see if I can try and get somebody who is a little bit more knowledgeable of how topological materials can relate uh, to quantum computing, but uh, we'll hopefully leave that to a later date. Um, I'm very much doubtful that I'm going to get any of the Nobel winners to come on this podcast, but you know, you never know. But anyway, as for our episode today, um, I'm delighted to have uh, Daniel Oy from Strathclyde University in Glasgow. Uh, so Daniel, thanks for uh, giving me an hour of your time. Oh, I'm very glad to be here. I mean, just to mention that uh, one of the Nobel Prize winners was uh, grew up um, not very far from here in Bezden, which is the other suburb of Glasgow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, is he the one who sits Seattle now? Or is he the um, one at Princeton? I can't remember. It's uh, Tulis, is it? Um, I'm not sure which but, one. Yeah, yeah. I think they're all in America now, but they're, they're all yeah, British yeah, this yeah. time around, aren't they? They just don't yeah, happen well, to work in America. <laughs> yes, they're all born in Britain. Uh, I think uh, they went to Cambridge and they had a, uh, an, um, a news item on, on Facebook from University of Cambridge saying, yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> all three Cambridge alumni. <laughs> yeah, well, Cambridge so, has so, had to do that a few times. Yeah, so yeah, there is a there is certainly a, a local connection here, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's really good. Well, wonderful. Hopefully, you'll be able to drag him back yeah. for a Nobel lecture or something, and use that <laughs> as an excuse to I don't know, at least have a couple of free drinks. <laughs> so. In terms of where you are now, so you and I just obviously, when I, I disclose when this happens, you and I have worked together on, on quite a few papers over the years. Um, you're now based in, in Scotland, in Glasgow, which you have been now for, for quite a while. Um, now, quantum has sort of have, has become quite strong in, in the Scotland area, whether it's um, Edinburgh, whether it's Glasgow, uh, or any other universities around. Um, so, have a bit of a, a chat about, first of all, you know, yourself and how you got into this and what what stuff you work on, but also sort of the, the larger community, at least within Scotland. Yes, um, no, it's um, grown considerably uh, over the time that I've been up in Scotland. I've been here uh, 10 years now. And uh, when I when I first arrived, um, it was, I mean, there was a, a community here, but uh, since then it's really grown um, with um, uh, lots of efforts springing up around the place. Uh, just shortly after I, I arrived, together with uh, Elham uh, Kashefi, um, we, we started up uh, Quisco, which is the Quantum Information Scotland Network, basically to try to come up with an interdisciplinary forum uh, for, um, science, uh, for 
the physicists, experimental and theorists uh, at, to get together with um, primarily computer scientists, but also uh, people from engineering and mathematics in order to uh, really develop the community. And, and we've been having regular meetings over the past um, decade. Mm -hmm. And uh, as through that, uh, you know, I think that's given the Scottish quantum information community um, a, a um, I guess, a, a thread, I guess, to, in order to, uh, upon which you know, that all the development um, in, in the area in Scotland has, has, has grown. So uh, there, there are, I mean, uh, there are efforts in Glasgow University, um, there in, in Strathclyde, of course. In Edinburgh, there it's um, concentrated at Heriot Watt and um, Edinburgh in the Informatic mm -hmm. Forum and the St Andrews. So those are the, the main places where um, the, the quantum information is. So basically, two in Glasgow, two in Edinburgh, and one up in, yeah. uh, in St Andrews, Andrews in Aberdeen. Um, uh, we don't we don't actually have um, any anyone specific in Aberdeen, unfortunately. Um, there's, I mean, there are uh, one or two people who are work in related areas, mainly in quantum sensing, but uh, nothing in, in real in core quantum information, unfortunately. So, do you span the gambit? I mean, obviously, you're you're a theorist. Um, you and I have done some stuff on architectures and system characterization. Elham's yeah. very heavy computer scientist, quantum information yeah. theorist. Um, but in terms of sort of these groups, do you sort of span the gambit between you know the hardcore device uh, experimentalists all the way through to people like yourself and Elham? Oh yes, yes, yes. So uh, it goes all the way from actually uh, engaging with industry and, and as part of the quantum technology hub in in Glasgow in, in uh, quantum enhanced uh, imaging. Uh, all the way to uh, you know, stuff that Elham's doing, um, and, and, you know, category theory. We ha we ha I have a colleague in the computer science department here at Strathclyde who works in category theory as applied to quantum information. So uh, you know, from those two extremes, um, we really span the whole gamut. So in terms of uh, anything that might have come up recently, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about uh, your latest work specifically a little bit later. Um, but in terms of things that have sort of come out from sort of the quantum community in Glasgow, of, of, well, not so much Glasgow, but Scotland, uh, mm -hmm. that are of uh, interesting note from your perspective uh, in the last couple of years, is there anything that people may have heard of? Uh, well, so, um, so I'll talk about the, the hub at, at Glasgow University. So this is the quantum technology hub in, in quantum enhanced imaging, and they've, uh, they've taken um, work that's uh, come out of things like ghost imaging, uh, and uh, but also related to that is uh, single pixel imaging, single pixel cameras, and uh, computational imaging, and, and um, also um, quantum um, uh, enhanced uh, detection, uh, quantum radar, things like that. So, give us, sorry, just to interrupt, but give, give us a bit of an idea of what some of these technologies are, because certainly people aren't terribly familiar with terms like ghost imaging and, and single pixel imaging and just sort of very rough, obviously. Well, so um, I, I guess I guess it starts, it starts with ghost imaging, which is a technique by which uh, you can use um, correlations between uh, two beams of light. Now, if you have an object by which um, which um, is maybe sensitive to uh, the radiation that it's probing at, then you want to use a very weak probing beam on it. But mm -hmm. because it's a weak probing beam, then detectors aren't very sensitive. So what you can do is you can have a what's so-called so bucket detector, um, which basically sits behind the object and basically detects whether 
a photon or, or whatever uh, radiation you're using to probe uh, gets past the object uh, and, and, and falls onto the bucket detector. Mm-hmm. Now that single detector or single pixel has no spatial resolution, so it can't actually tell you anything about the shape of the object. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you correlate the radiation which is um, probing that object uh, in another arm, if you have uh, another um, a correlated beam, a second beam which uh, is directed towards an imager which actually has spatial image, uh, spatial resolution, so for instance, uh, an array of detectors then by correlating the, the, the clicks on the bucket detector with where the correlated um, light on the second arm fell on, on the array, then essentially what you've done is you can build up an image of the object with the bucket detector, which has no spatial resolution, but using the spatial resolution in the other arm. Uh, and so this, uh, this general technique is called ghost imaging, um, uh, there's also a very related technique called uh, interaction-free measurement, which um, uh, was originally introduced in the context of um, you know, quantum paradoxes. Uh, and, and so these techniques allow you, uh, potentially allow you to do sensing or imaging in uh, completely new ways. So for instance, in this example, perhaps you could reduce the x-ray exposure uh, when imaging a patient. So um, if you have a weak um, uh, X-ray source in one in one arm and 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 uh, uh, in a bucket detector to image the um, the patient, and on the other arm you have a stronger beam which can then be imaged by a, an array. Then that may allow you to uh, image with um, with far um, far less radiation dosage absorbed dosage. So uh, so the, the, these are the kind of advantages these kind of um, techniques may may give. So these are active quantum, what I would call active quantum technologies. So they exploit mm. entanglement, they exploit superposition Correlation, in yes. work. Mm, yes. So yeah. So so this, uh, I mean, there's been a bit of controversy in 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 the in the community about just how quantum this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, certainly, it's taking the underlying concepts and ideas of correlation uh, um, at, uh, in quantum optics in order to to perform this and. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting work has come out of it. Um, related to, the, to this is the idea of using a, a single pixel, so uh, having a bucket detector and using a modulated illumination or modulated um, uh, detection pattern mask. And, and that can also uh, give you some advantages in, in, in acquiring imaging data. I mean, that, that's not strictly quantum, but it, is, it, it comes out of um, some of the very fundamental research which has been done in, in quantum um, quantum information. So, I mean, in, in the context to sort of give people an idea, um, the quantum imaging is sort of a more of a stepping stone technology. It's not as complicated as a full-blown quantum computer or a full-blown mm. quantum communications mm. network, and yeah. therefore is expected to be, you know, a little bit easier to build, a little bit easier to develop. Um, from your knowledge of, of quantum computing and quantum communications, mm. Um, you know, you hear a lot of these articles talking about, well, we might be able to get 50 qubits in two or three years, and we might be able to do some sort of fault tolerant error correction in five or six years. Um, where would you put the technology um, in, in this realm in, in comparison to these other ones? I mean, is it something that you could expect to see coming out commercially much, much sooner? Well, so, so the, the, the Glasgow um, QT hub is, is working with companies um, at the moment to develop products based on their research. 
So in fact, um, you know, within the next couple of years, you'll see um, products coming out of the, the, the hub. Um, I mean, the, the, the first wave will, won't be fully quantum, but I think that, you know, we won't have to wait too long till we actually see um, you know, you know, actual quantum devices uh, operating um, uh, or devices operating on these quantum principles um, to, to do this kind of imaging. Well, I hope so. Um, certainly, if some people see some kind of quantum technology coming out soon, it will at least convince them that we're not entirely full of rubbish when we talk about this stuff. So in terms more specifically about your work, um, again, we may as well start off with, with the most interesting thing that, that you've been involved with uh, in the past year or so. And this is a basically the first launch of quantum technology on a satellite platform. Um, and this is in collaboration with the guys down at Singapore, right? Mm, yes, yeah. so I, I've had a long-standing collaboration with Alex Ling at the Centre for Quantum Technologies down in the National University of Singapore. Uh, and uh, we've been working for years on trying to develop critical parts, which critical components of um, what would go into satellite quantum key distribution, or, or just basically if you want to do any sort of quantum technologies or quantum science or entanglement in space, then um, the real heart of these things are entanglement um, sources. Um, sources uh, that produce integral pairs of photons, uh, and we use that for quantum key distribution, but we can think uh, way beyond that. We can think about um, setting up a quantum internet using a, a network, uh, a global network of satellites with these entanglement sources distributing, distributing entanglement around the world. So, I mean, that's really the vision that we have um, in the future of, of, of um, exploiting um, space for quantum technologies. But we have to start somewhere. We have to start at the at the very um, at the very uh, ground level, as it were, and <laughs> and, and develop the the, the, you know, the the individual components. Now, for a very long time, uh, people have been proposing experiments in space, quantum experiments in space. Uh, the um, the initial um, proposals to do entanglement distribution from the International Space Station they came out in the early two thousands, um, but very little um, progress has been made. Uh, mainly because um, the funding wasn't there. Um, we had very good proposals, very good scientific cases for, for doing these kinds of experiments, but um, they are expensive. Space is very expensive to, to, to get into, at least the traditional big space uh, development. So uh, we, we happened upon um, a, a new approach. Um, it was just by accident. Um, I was actually celebrating uh, the 40th anniversary of the moon landings in 2009 at a, at a, at a convention, at a conference uh, in, in Glasgow. And I just uh, bumped into a professor of mechanical engineering at, at, at my same university at this event. And he, let, he told me about um, this new development, which is CubeSats, a very small satellite which, which ride piggyback on big satellite launches. And because they're riding piggyback, um, they only pay a fraction of the cost of, of the full launch. Now, a full, I mean, a, a, a launch of a, say, a, um, a telecommunication satellite would cost roughly $100 million US dollars. And obviously, we can't afford that kind of thing. We can't afford mm -hmm. that. The community can't afford that, right? So it's just, it's is $100 million just the launch cost, or is it launch cost plus construction cost? No, that's just the launch cost. Right. Uh, uh, we're talking the same amount again for, the, for a big satellite. So uh, we're talking orders of you know, $200 million to build a big satellite and launch it. Um, 
if you construct very small satellites which weigh only a few kilograms, you can pay a fraction of the cost, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars to launch that same order of magnitude to actually build it. So for under a million dollars, you can build and launch uh, small satellites uh, into, into, into orbit and conduct experiments. And this is the approach that we uh, ultimately pursued. So um, for uh, since about 2010, we've been working um, uh, on building um, devices experiments and now building our own satellites in order to perform these experiments um, to, to advance the state of common technologies in space. So in terms of what you actually did on, on these two recent papers, uh, the actual CubeSat that you launched, I mean, of course, it's just proof of principle. It's just showing that you can build the components, launch it into orbit for, as you said, a cost that is, is feasible for academic researchers. But in terms of the actual technology that you demonstrated, what was in the satellite? So uh, to just explain what the payload was, uh, so the heart of, uh, of, of many quantum experiments, quantum computing experiments, is a pair of entangled photons. And usually the, the method that people use is, is through down conversion. You take a, a laser, uh, in, in this case at 405 nanometers, which is uh, basically what would be in a Blu-ray uh, Blu drive, Blu-ray uh, player, and then you pass that laser beam through a, a nonlinear crystal. And this crystal uh, down converts the photon, so it takes a photon at 405 nanometers, and uh, it basically produces two daughter photons, which are at, uh, in this case, um, around 800 nanometers. Uh, the, the, in this case, it's uh, two, uh, two different frequencies, so it's um, non-degenerate down conversion, mm -hmm. but they're both traveling in the same direction. And, and these two photons, if you, if you arrange um, your apparatus correctly, these two photons are entangled. In this case, we use the polarization degree uh, to, to, to do the entanglement. Um, and so uh, normally, you know, with the, at the very beginning, these devices took up a whole uh, optics table. And basically, you can't launch an optics table into space. No. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and even more difficult is launching the PhD students up with the optics table to tweak it to yeah. make it work. So, so a, a lot of the work has been done in order to take you know, what is several hundred kilograms and, 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 and several cubic meters and shrink it down to the volume of um, 300 grams and um, 300 milliliters. So basically the volume of a can of Coke. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, we need to use uh, very little power, a couple, maybe a watt or two, um, and um, it must be rugged. It must be able to survive uh, the launch. It must be able to survive radiation. It must be able to survive uh, the vacuum and also the thermal fluctuations. Uh, a satellite in low Earth orbit will go in and out of the shadow um, uh, um, you know, several times a day, and, and consequently the temperature will go up and down inside that satellite. Uh, if a, a, a laboratory experiment, um, they try to stabilize everything to really mm -hmm. do it environmentally, and, and then they use other things like coolers or heaters in order to maintain the sub um, one degree um, temperature stability. We don't have that luxury. So in order to, to do this, you have to uh, turn what is a science experiment into something which uh, basically you know you can give to. Um, uh, uh, yeah, the, the launch company send it up and, and, and it has to work without you actually being able to be up there tweaking it. And, um, so so that, that was the primary challenge um, to, um, to do so. 
And so what is up there at the moment is um, uh, what's called a correlated photon source. So it, it's um, it's basically the the source that we've been developing to produce entangled photons, but um, we haven't inserted all of the crystals required in order to produce a fully polarization entangled source. Mm -hmm. I mean, the photons themselves they actually are entangled because they, they they're entangled in the frequency and and the, and momentum and time. Uh, but uh, those aren't the degrees of freedom that we're that, that we're um, actively exploiting at the moment. So uh, we we call it a correlated photon source, even though um, there is entanglement, but we don't actually exploit that at the moment. Um, so 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 the the experiment at the moment is to is to basically check that the basic design works, and um, it is it is working very well. It's it's producing highly correlated photons. Uh, the, the, the polarization analyzers in order to check that, that, the, that the source is actually producing these uh, correlated photons is working very well. And we're monitoring things like the radiation damage to the, uh, to the single photon detectors, which we use to detect the, um, the, the, the correlations. And, and this is all giving us very valuable data about what the next uh, mission will be like. So you're still, I mean, it's been continuously transmitting data ever since you sent it up. It's still, you're still analyzing stuff that's coming down now? Well, it's sort of like um, you know we're we're like the flea on the rat on you know, on the cat, right? <laughs> In that um, our experiment is only a a, a payload upon a, a bigger satellite, you know, this CubeSat, which um, is run by um, the engineering department at the at, at National University of Singapore, and they're running other experiments as well. So we have to timeshare. Oh, okay. This was going to be my next question because I'm I'm completely unfamiliar with these CubeSat ideas. Is obviously when you say piggyback on a launch, I figured it was piggybacked on a launch, but then sent off independently. So you actually it, it had is. your own communication system. It, it is. It is. Oh, it is. So, so yeah. So, so it is. A, it is. A, I mean, literally, it's about this big. That's mm -hmm. the that's the satellite. It's freely floating in space. But within this, we have our own experiment, and we have to timeshare with other experiments in this. So this satellite isn't just doing one experiment; our experiment is doing other other people's experiments as well. Ah, oh, so okay. So this is why you said you can have a couple of kilos in your payload, but yours has to be only three hundred grams. Grams. Yes. Yes. Ah, okay. the, whole, the whole the whole thing weighs about two kilograms, um, and so you know, so three hundred grams is is our bit, but then there's going to be other payloads which are about the same order. So I can't remember exactly how many of the other payloads they've got, but we have to timeshare. So we have to share, um, yeah, power. We have to share communications. Um, so yeah, we, we yeah, So it's run periodically, and and basically want to build up a time series of its performance, um, you know, over over you know, as as long as it's up there, and and that should be a couple of years. Hopefully. So how's its stability so far? I mean, it's still obviously working. Oh yes. Well, I mean, the performance is actually uh, quite interesting in that. Um, we, we found that, uh, for instance, the polarization um, of uh, polarization correlations actually are, are still very good. Um, they haven't degraded. We have no, we don't see any signs of that degrading. Um, the liquid crystal polarization rotators that we used, which uh, you know the, the people who make them and other people who use them, told us that no radiation will destroy them, uh, you know, very rapidly, and you'll never never be able to, to, to use them properly. They have actually held up very well. Um, mm -hmm. So actually, this um, this in orbit um, uh, validation of its performance has, has actually shown us that, that uh, this approach will work very well. Uh, 
the most critical part of, of this experiment is the single photon detector. So uh, what we need to do is we need to uh, measure the polarization, and that's done by using polarizers and polarizing beam slippers, and ultimately detected by single photon avalanche photodiodes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're very sensitive to radiation damage. So um, the uh, as as exposed to both um, gamma rays and electrons and proton bombardment, then they cause uh, damage to the actual silicon in, in the in the in the diode, and that causes the dark count rate to go up. So that means that if, if there's no photon uh, arriving, it will still um, give click and and, 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 and give a, an error, an erroneous um, result. And um, we've been monitoring that uh, from um, what's been uh, what we've measured prior to launch, and then we've seen a gradual increase in the number of, of, of dark counts that we get, the dark count rate. Uh, and and it's it's interesting because it's higher. The, the, the radiation damage rate is higher than our models predicted. So before mm -hmm. we, we actually think that we actually uh, used industry or, or um, industry models or models which are well, um, uh, well, I don't respect, but basically generally used, widely used to, to predict what radiation you should expect in space at that altitude uh, and, and the various orbital conditions and use that. Uh, and we did some prior radiation testing, so we actually took our devices, put them in front of um, gamma ray uh, sources or put them in front of um, a, you know, a cyclotron or a synchrotron and exposed them to, to actual radiation and measured the performance at the various uh, radiation doses. So we were able to compare our models and the actual ground data and then predict what we should expect in terms of the, the start count rate increase. And we found that, um, that the, uh, the, the models seem to have underestimated the amount of radiation that they should receive at this, at this um, orbit at this time of year. Um, so, you know, where um, it's, it, it just proves that you can do all the modeling, all of the design, all the calculations you like on the ground, but when you get it into space, um, that's really the, the taste of the pudding. So, I mean, in terms of the data that you are getting, obviously classical mm. communication satellites have, mm. you know, lifetimes that range into the, to the decades mm. Um, mm. level. But in this case, because obviously it's quantum technology, it's extremely sensitive to environmental errors. And as you say, each component has its own quantum behavior that gets easily damaged by these things. Um, what's the challenge now? I mean, does it really, we now have to, if we're going to start putting this technology into space, we're going to have to think of some very different material science rather than just, you know, we, we don't have these concerns if we were to say build a quantum computer on the ground. Yes, no, I mean, this, this is exactly correct. Um, I mean, they, they say, you know, yeah, you know, this is rocket science. And, and, and um, the reason why they call it rocket science has a reputation for being difficult is because it is difficult. <laughs> because it is a very uh, harsh and challenging environment. Um, the way you get into space is insane, really, um, <laughs> uh, compared to every other, other method of, 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 of transportation. Sending a rocket into orbit is a massive um, uh, event. You know, nowadays we take it for granted, but every so often, you know, maybe one in 10, one in 20 launches, it blows up. Well, we all yeah. saw the SpaceX one from a couple of weeks yeah. ago. And that, and that was even before they were launched it. That was, that was testing stage. So uh, it, it just shows you how challenging and difficult uh, just even getting into space is. And to, and to put it into perspective, uh, we, we had a setback. So in um, 2014, in, in, in October, 
we we had our first uh, planned launch of, of, of our experiment to space on the Antares um, uh, launch. Um, it went, it, it survived a total of about 30 seconds <laughs> uh, from launch uh, until the, 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 the launch vehicle exploded in a ball of flames and crashed down uh, on the launch pad. Um, and, uh, and, and that was, that was a bit of a, um, a, a gut wrench, um, to see your experiment, um, not even make it, uh, hundred meters or 200 meters above the ground. Um, now the, the interesting thing is that, um, later on, they actually recovered the capsule, uh, which contained the, um, the, the, the satellite and, um, they returned it to the, to the, to the satellite, um, uh, manufacturer. This is, this is Gomex. It's a company out of, um, out of Denmark, which was uh, hosting our, our, our experiment. Mm -hmm. And um, it was slightly bent, the, the, the satellite, um, but they plugged it in and it turned on. And it, and the uh, experiment was in fully working order. Really? And so we were actually able to run, um, you know, diagnostic tests and, and actually run, you know, compare the, um, the results. Um, before and after it survived what we call a rapid unintended disassembly event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please tell me that's in a technical paper somewhere. <laughs> uh, it is. So, so actually Alex, uh, my collaborator, has published a paper on, on, um, uh, on extreme environmental testing of quantum devices. And, 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 and so, uh, you know, we have to build them rugged. We have to build them to survive launch. Um, and, uh, but in, in this case, you know, we, we built, um, you know, they were able to build it to survive an explosion. So, so, and this is just even before we get to space. Um, so, I mean, the, the next step, I mean, you said that, that this experiment is going to inform what you and, and the guys in Singapore are going to design for the next generation of payload. In the meantime, there has been this Chinese launch. Uh, of a similar yeah. quantum satellite. So what have they done compared to what you did with the first launch? And then has this sort of changed your mind as to where you guys are going to go next? Well, I mean, I, I just think that, um, you know, what China has been able to do, what Dr. Um, what, uh, Dr. Pan has done um, has been absolutely amazing to be able to, to, to do a lot of the preparatory work. And there's a lot of development that has to be done before you even consider launching um, uh, that kind of experiment. So uh, to explain the difference between what they've done and what we've done, I mean, we, we're operating on a shifting budget and, uh, and, and we, we, yeah, we've been concentrating on getting you know, the, the entanglement source or the, the components required for entanglement source uh, working in space. They've gone the full, uh, the full hog. Right? They, they, they're going to do um, full quantum communication from space to ground. So they want to send single photons and tangled photons from the satellite to uh, ground receiving stations. Uh, our, our, everything that we do in our, in our satellite experiment happens on board satellite um, uh, because uh, in order to do the, the actual transmission, you need a, a bigger satellite, you need a more expensive satellite, you need um, much uh, more uh, components that, that need to be developed. Um, so, so, I mean, in comparison, um, their satellites weigh 640 kilograms or 650 kilograms. So they did launch an optics bench into space. Yes, they, they launched, um, actually they launched several, several, um, uh, 
pieces of equipment into space. Um, and, and, you know, you can sort of estimate how much they've spent on this. Mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know, order of $100 million, $100 million uh, uh, on, on the satellite itself, plus the launch cost. But it's done through the state, so it doesn't cost them anything. <laughs> They're not uh, piggybacking but, uh, on anything. This is a dedicated yeah. satellite for this experiment. That's a dedicated launch. So, mm -hmm. so if you include the, the launch of a dedicated uh, uh, launch vehicle as well as a 640-kilogram satellite, plus all the, the massive development they've done, um, what we're, we're what we're doing is we're we're trying to, um, you know, advance in very small steps. And, and they've done the big leap. You know, they've gone directly to a big satellite and, and the full transmission experiment. Our, our next launch um, will be possibly next year, and that will be to test an upgraded version of, of the experiment that, we, that we've already tested in space. And that will be a fully entangled source, and, and it will uh, test uh, improvements. It will test improved uh, detectors, um, perhaps with the radiation shielding, um, you know, uh, revised circuitry, all that kind of thing. Uh, so we, we take um, the um, the lessons learned from the first mission, uh, we iterate it, do a second mission, learn more, and then there's a plan for a, a third launch, uh, possibly 2019, where we, we, we have an even uh, more improved high brightness, more rugged um, design. Uh, so we're taking this these small, rapid, well, comparatively rapid um, steps compared to putting all our eggs in one basket and going for the big mission. Um, we can, it means that, you know, the, the investment is, is smaller at each stage, that we de-risk it. Um, that means at each stage we've eliminated or we've, we've uh, mitigated against risks um, of the previous mission, and then we can uh, uh, develop improved uh, components or improved um, design for the next one. And um, in, in this way, uh, small teams like us um, can actually uh, contribute to, to, this, um, to this endeavor to put in space technologies uh, into orbit. So who's in this space at the moment? I mean, the, obviously the Chinese and, and you guys are doing it. The uh, Viennese, uh, the Zeilinger and Rupertson and people like that in Vienna had been talking about, as you said earlier, uh, putting these things on, on the International Space Station, but that hasn't you know, eventuated yet. Is there anyone else except you guys and the Chinese at this point that have you know really gotten to the point of actually sending stuff up? Um, I mean, there, there are there's uh, quite a few groups around the world um, working in this area. Uh, so uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Anton's uh, group and, and Rupert. Um, so they're they're collaborating um, with the Chinese, with Pan on this, um, and, and hopefully they'll be receiving uh, entangled photons from the satellite. Uh, in order to, in order, uh, also maybe to generate um, PK links between um, China and, and, and Austria. Uh, they obviously have their own um, their own efforts and they're working with um, people like ESA, uh, European Space Agency, uh, uh, developing um, other components and things like that. Uh, there, there's you know, the people like um, Paolo Vizzarezzi um, in, in Italy who are doing uh, experiments um, testing the optical uh, link properties between space and, and ground using retroflectors of satellites. They're sending weak laser pulses um, to satellites and then observing the very faint um, uh, uh, reflection back and, and testing the quantum properties of that channel. Uh, very, very, um, um, very impressive work there. Uh, 
there are people who are actually doing um, following a slightly different approach to satellite quantum key distribution. Mm -hmm. Most of the people are using um, discrete variable quantum key distributions, either polarization or uh, some proposals to use time bin entangled photons for doing um, quantum key distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another approach based on continuous continuous variables or CV QKD. And uh, so this is an approach that uh, the group of um, Gerd Leuks or, um, and uh, Dominic Elsa uh, are, 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 are taking. And they're using, actually very, very interestingly, uh, modified conventional optical communication terminals. So, so they've got um, these, um, basically they're tele mini telescopes uh, on, on gimbals, which attach on the much bigger satellites. So for instance, if you have a telecommunication satellite or some other, other big satellite, um, you can slap one of these optical communication uh, terminals on it. And you can use that in order to do high speed uh, data transfer from orbit to ground using a, a laser signal. And so uh, the in, in continuous variables basically use a, a very attenuated um, uh, uh, laser and you encode information into the continuous variable um, degrees of freedom, the quadratures, for instance, <laughs> and you modulate those and then and then um, you receive them and you demodulate it, for instance, using um, um, pomodyne detection. Uh, and, and that gives you a, uh, a, a alternative way of generating secure keys using what is essentially just a modified conventional classical communication device. Um, so, so that's one approach. Um, more conventionally, there's um, the, the group of Thomas Genovine in, at, at Waterloo, and uh, they they've been pursuing um, uh, both conventional satellites, but also um, uh, CubeSats, similar approach to what we are doing in order to to perform experiments. And they've been doing a lot of um, development work in, in, in developing the uh, transmission equipment and, and receiver equipment. Uh, their approach differs slightly in that they want to put, they want to leave the source, uh, either a, a weak, a weak coherent pulse force or entangled force, on the ground, and only put the receiver on the satellite. And so they put the the polarization analyzers uh, on the satellite, and they send up the single photons. So that's different to what most other people are doing, where they put the actual source on the satellite and then only have the receiver on the ground, and they just use a, a telescope to to run to receive that. So it, there are very many different approaches and ways that people are, 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 are attempting to, to, um, to develop this technology. And I, I think it's, um, it's really good. Do you think that, that uh, I mean, there's, there was always, because I've done a bit of work with quantum repeaters and other methods for quantum mm -hmm. networking, um, and there's always this fight between uh, people, especially on the quantum, you know, the ground-based stuff versus the satellite-based stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, given your familiarity with the satellite-based stuff and the fact that, you know, we have our own problems in quantum repeaters, mm -hmm. uh, especially not, not so much for QKD, but for much more in the future when we're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, an actual quantum internet connecting things. Yeah, repeaters are swapping, things like that. In order to yeah, repeaters can be error-corrected, or at mm -hmm. least in principle they can be error-corrected. They, mm -hmm. They're basically mini quantum computers. I suppose you could do the mm -hmm. same thing with satellites. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, but you're then shipping mini quantum computers into space. Um, mm. The obvious uh, upside to satellites is that you can, in principle, get much longer distances in one hop. Mm. 
Um, yes, yes. I mean, so, so that is uh, one of the drivers for, for developing this technology, like, specifically for set, uh, for QKD purposes. Um, yeah, we know that uh, fiber-based systems without you know, the repeaters, quantum repeaters, is restricted to of the order of 100 kilometers, maybe 200 kilometers. I think the record at the moment is like 300 kilometers, but um, practically, uh, you really are talking about 100 kilometers to get you know, the key rates that you need. Um, so. If you want to span continents, then then um, either you we we have repeaters, quantum repeaters, and 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 and, and have them spaced every hundred kilometers, so to go across the Atlantic, I don't know how many you need. So. The four quantum repeaters, unfortunately, they've got to be a lot denser than that. You're talking closer to ten kilometers. Ten kilometers. So let's say that we want to. So we're talking hundreds across the Atlantic. Uh, and and you know, have to get to the bottom of the ocean. Mm. Um, so 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 it's it's the question is whether that technical um, development. Um, what's the cost of doing that compared to a single satellite distributing entangled pairs between London and New York? Um, and and yeah, you know, the, the the rate may be slow, but at least you're getting pairs. Whereas um, you know, there's, there's no way without repeaters to, 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 to do it in a fiber-based network. So at least in the near term or the near-ish term, um, long-distance entanglement distribution, I think satellite-based networks definitely have a role to play. Um, and, 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 and there aren't any real showstoppers preventing that. We know how we can do it. Uh, we, we, we just need to be able to develop these um, stabilized satellite platforms with large enough um, transmission apertures uh, which uh, can point accurately enough and the ground station technology is, is basically there already. Um, and so the question is how big does a, 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 does a satellite need to be in order to simultaneously tra um, transmit pairs of entangled photons to two different ground stations separated by you know, a thousand, two thousand kilometers. And, and you know, I think we're getting there. Yeah. Well, I imagine it's, you know, I always talk about, you know, quantum computers mirroring classical computers in their development. Well, when I mean, we're talking about quantum communications mirroring classical communications of the oh. 40s and 50s, it was all satellite based. Oh. Um, and then we decided that, you know, we needed higher and higher speeds and higher and higher rates and optic fibers were developed and they were refined and then everything started being pulled back down again. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I see them as complementary. Um, technologies, because I mean, even today, you know, uh, satellite um, connection, satellite communication coexists with fiber-based communication. If you're in the middle of, um, you, know, you know, the country, you know, you're in a remote mining station sending back, you know, data to head office, you know, there may not be an optical fiber link that you can use, but, you know, say it's, it's um, for instance, um, if you do exploratory mining and you need to say that, you know, there's, you know, how many, you know, what, what resources are, uh, resource information there, which is highly confidential and, and worth millions of dollars, you may want to use a satellite QKD link in order to secure that information, um, and, 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 but you don't have access to, to a fiber optic network. Um, so, so there are situations and, 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 um, and cases where uh, they can complement each other. Obviously, um, Within a, a city, intra-city links, yeah, they're going to be fiber-based. Um, okay. Maybe uh, cities which are separated by you know, tens or, or hundred kilometers, you know, fiber fiber-based networks um, are uh, definitely the way to go. 
but um, at least in the short term, you know, if you want to span long distances or places which don't have existing fiber infrastructure, then satellites have a role to play. So, I mean, we're actually, we we're going to talk about some other stuff, but we've nearly exhausted all of our time just talking <laughs> about this. But I mean, this is, this is very interesting. I'm sure it's very interesting to anyone else who's listening too. You know, this kind of stuff actually going up. Um, but the one little thing I did want to ask uh, before we just get into some more general stuff or, or, and start to wrap this up is that in the computational space, um, we are starting to see a much more active role being played within the private sector, whether it's Google, IBM, uh, the CBA in Australia and Telstra in Australia have invested heavily in the silicon work. Um, now, you, you've talked about the Chinese investment being very large, but obviously that's coming uh, from the state. It's not, yeah. yeah, it's not coming from private sectors. In terms of uh, your work at NUS uh, and in Glasgow and the work of the Viennese and the Europeans, has industry started to come in this or is this pretty much still an exclusive realm of... Well, of government well, well, and universities. I mean, I think for the terrestrial stuff, uh, we've seen that investment already. Uh, so the quantum communications hub, uh, quantum technology hub in York, uh, they have a lot of industry engagement. Um, uh, you know, the, the large, um, say, um, you know, telecommunication um, electronics companies. Uh, you know, in, in the UK, you know, BT, British Telecom, is, is um, heavily involved in investing in, in uh, the on the terrestrial front. Um, and but. In terms of satellite TKD, one of the effects of, of the um, launch of the Chinese quantum satellite has been a resurgence of interest uh, amongst um, commercial companies. Uh, and and, and, and you know, I think you know, they, are, they are calculating their response. They, they, they need to keep on top of this, these developments. And I have been engaging with, uh, with uh, companies both on say the downstream sector like BT um, or the upstream sector, companies like uh, Airbus or Thales. Um, so yeah, they, these these companies they they definitely um, are keeping a very clear eye on this, and um, they're. I mean, I think at this stage we're still at the you know, what we call low technological readiness levels in terms of stuff like UKD, and. Um, companies would like to see that raised a bit before they can really see a route to market or a route to, to implementation, commercial deployment. And, and a lot of the effort at the moment uh, that, that I'm, I'm particularly involved in is in order to make that leap from you know, the low TRLs into the, the, to the mid TRL level where uh, companies then can see that, um, that direct uh, route. Uh, and and you know, it's um, it's it's an interesting time uh, because you know you're you're looking you're looking at turning what are, were laboratory experiments or scientific experiments into something which really is a technology, something that has to be robust, deployable, economic, and and yeah, I think I think once we've reached that stage uh, where there is this clear vision of how it's going to develop, then I think the commercial companies are going to um, going to really uh, jump on board. Well, it has been an explosion in the last 18 months to two years across you know, a huge, huge swath of the quantum technology sector. So I think it's inevitable. Um, so we're, we're basically hitting 50 minutes now. And then usually, as I said, I try to keep these things to 45 minutes or so, um, so that we don't overwhelm people. But just to, as I usually do for everyone who comes on these podcasts, is there anything interesting happening? Anything you want to plug? Uh, opportunities available, either within your collaboration with NUS or in Scotland itself? Um, I mean, I, 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 
one of the great things about this um, uh, uh, the community that you know, the satellite QKD community uh, is that you know generally it's been very open and um, very open to collaborations and we, we all see you know this challenge is something that we can't all just do by ourselves and so we're very open to collaboration um, uh, my, my collaborator Alex Ling uh, you know we're looking for uh, people who are very interested in developing other aspects of the, of, of the QK, of QKD system for satellite QKD technologies so um, you know if, if you think you know there's a um, a project or an experimental mission that that, you know, that possibly could use a very compact, very robust, um, explosion-tested uh, uh, you know, entanglement source uh, for for your experiments. Then um, just drop us a line, and, and we'll be very happy to discuss. Well, as usual, I will definitely put in all the contact uh, information, uh, both in the description on the YouTube channel and uh, to our other. Uh, distribution platforms for the podcast so yeah, as as daniel said if you can think of some good ideas and uh send them an email send them a tweet send them whatever and, and trying to get into contact with them and i'm sure they'll be incredibly enthusiastic to talk to anybody so uh that's it for our episode today um so once again uh i'd like to thank daniel Loy from strathclyde and glasgow for, for sitting down with us and having a great chat yep thank you simon for uh, inviting me no problem at all. So uh, this will be uploaded, obviously, to our other accounts uh, before the end of the night. Um, I'll do it before I go to bed. Uh, next conversation is hopefully going to be with the co-founder of One Qubit. Uh, that's still uh, yet to be finalised exactly. This one will be an offline conversation. We won't be doing it uh, live on YouTube. Um, but when it's ready, it will be uploaded to YouTube and our other accounts. But again. Uh, Stay in line with us, follow us on Twitter and our other social media accounts for updates and uh, schedules of, of our next episodes. So thanks all of you again for joining either live or offline. Thanks again.